Hi, welcome to Mobile Interactions Now, the podcast where industry pros share firsthand experiences on making mobile interactions work. I'm Kevin, and I'm part of the team here at Tintech. On today's episode, Gene is joined by Baz Van Leeuwen. Baz is marketing director at Gen25, an Amsterdam-based technology consulting and system integration company. Baz talked with Gene about how businesses can use data from customer interactions and transactions to drive business outcomes. Take it away, Gene. Baz, welcome to the show. I am thrilled to have you on the show because I've been really wanting to talk about this role of data and how companies can use it better now that we know a little bit about data to help them really reshape some of the customer journey that they have and some of the uh, you know gaps that they have in their customer experience. Just so that we get to know you a little bit better, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I would love to, uh, Gina. Thank you so much for the invitation and, uh, and having me on the podcast show, so to say. My name is uh, Bas van Leeuwen. I'm a marketing director at Gen25. Gen25 is a software and consultancy agency. We primarily focus on um, implementing Salesforce and AWS. And more or less, our mission is to improve customer interaction for companies. So companies have a better interaction with their customers and, well, enjoying a better customer experience and also an employee experience. Our background is a combination of more or less human technology interaction and marketing and sales. So I've been in a combination of both. Before joining Gen25 earlier this year, I've been a business development director at JETS, which stands for the Journalist Academy of Data Science, which is a data science university with a task to really create value using data. So not so much only fundamental research, but also applied research and how can we use data to challenge all different topics from deforestation to a better customer interaction to better pricing models to even seeing how visitors of museums act and spend perhaps some additional money within the city center. And uh, before being a business development director, I was an HR and IT and um, also in different advertising agencies. Also, I think that the main topic within my career has been human technology interaction in any case. So from the very basics, what is the role of data in delivering the type of experience that today's consumers are really wanting and demanding it even? Yeah, I think what's important in customer experience and even what consumers expect, the sentence convenience is the new loyalty is one I really like. If there's an abundance of choice, then people go for the easiest route. And you have to think about with online shopping, internet, easy access to a lot of different opportunities for consumers, there's an abundance of choice. And if there's a lot of options to choose from, and they're more or less comparable, then there are two main triggers in which people act on most products, so to say, in in their shopping experience. If the product is the same, let's look for the best offer, so to say, but also the most easy experience and the most easy way of obtaining the advantage that consumer wants. We're going to France this summer with our family and you have to have a specific environmental ticket for your car, which you have to put on your screen and uh, then it's okay to travel to France. Otherwise you get a fine for not having an environmental sticker. You can order the sticker directly from 
well, more or less the French government, some, some governmental site in which you can order the sticker and put it on your car. But it's really complex because you have to fill in all these types of data with the registration number of your car and your license plate. And I know that this data is available at some point. By filling in my license plate of my car, it can automatically generate all the other data which is needed to complete this request for this environmental sticker. So instead of me buying the sticker for three euros on some governmental website, I went to a commercial website, paid 15 euros, because then I only had to fill in four different numbers or some additional information, and it got me my sticker. So You paid your convenience premium. Exactly. And that's and three it, times higher? Wow. Five times higher. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> so three and 15, yes. I'm, I'm not being efficient in terms of money, but I'm being efficient in terms of time. So if it really saves me a lot of time, if you have this data, which you can use for customers to create a better customer experience, that's really valuable. But you also have to be aware that data in itself doesn't want to do anything. Data is, is just on some server being collected and it has no ambition. It doesn't want to do anything. It's just sitting there. So getting more data doesn't get you anywhere. You have to really get it working into models or CX experience and get the real value chain up and running. I, I love what you just said. And I think it's the first time I heard it that way. Data doesn't have any ambition. <laughs> But you're very much right. But the thing is, the way you are looking at it, meaning, you know, I got this sticker before. The data is sitting somewhere. You might as well just use it rather than having me repeat that and do it all over again. The lack of data is not the problem here because we are seeing every interaction is creating some kind of data. Yeah. whether that's captured and used or something like that. But what are we actually learning? I mean, from it, having this data all around it, are we teaching ourselves to be more ambitious, try to come up with something? Yeah, you see, when I see in main directions, I think there are two directions which companies take. The first one is companies saying we have to do more with data and we also have to do more with AI. So let's collect a lot of data because if we have the data, we are rich in knowledge and we can improve our interactions. I think the other route is perhaps more interesting, collecting smaller amounts of data and doing experiments. So doing a lot of different experiments with perhaps, well, smaller target groups, but learning from those experiments and scaling up the experience from there. And I think we have to let go the idea of the, what data you can get 100% right. You're never going to get 100% right, and that's okay. I mean, come to think of it, that's how science works. It, it works on yeah. the probability, right? The experimentation that is going on, which I think is more interesting rather than just uh, having, I, I think those days of just talking about having a lot of data, you know, data lake and all those things is entire different category because we are interested in like, how do I make BASIS experience less painful? when you're getting that sticker in that situation, for me, like what is more interesting is in that particular scenario. Now we are, you are talking about this concept of what probability of, let's say, predictions or results you, you can confidently say, okay, then we do this. Are, are we getting any better at that? Yeah, I think we're getting better because especially big data, when I, I think it was in 2013, but uh, 
Victor Meyer Schönberger, who's a professor at, I think it's Harvard, but you have to perhaps correct me on that. But he wrote a book on big data, which really kicked off the whole data hype, so to say. And uh, the first response of a lot of companies and organizations, and also myself, we have to collect a lot of data because if we have the data, everything will be fine. And then we learned, okay, collecting data is really costly. And then more or less reality kicked in and we thought to ourselves, okay, now we're collecting all this data and how are we going to use it? So getting back to what is the problem you actually want to solve? And that's a really important starting point. If you use data, if you want to use data, you probably don't want to use data. You want to improve your customer experience or you want to be more efficient in some production chain or you want to improve the value chain. So think of that challenge at first and then think of the, the business challenge, which is the one to solve or the problem you want to solve and then think back towards which data is important in that case. And then you have this perhaps smaller amount of data which is needed, which you can use to run experiments on. I think there's the competition is really important because competition keeps you sharp and makes you better, right? If you're in a competition, you, you think about your own performance and you think about a way to increase it. If you're a governmental organization, providing the ability to buy a sticker in this case is a goal which is well achieved by launching the website and giving you the opportunity to do so. So there's a green approval and where everybody's happy. Wisdom comes in, in different steps, you know. First of all, you want to provide people with this opportunity to apply for a sticker. Then you have this process up and running. It's in some cases also the experiment. And you have to really learn from, okay, now we've got this up and running, the, the minimal viable product. Perhaps you can relate to that and think how to improve it. But if you're not in a competition, you're most likely run your MVP and think it's our definite product. If you're having a, a website which has a bounce rate of about 80%, which is just Google Analytics, and you know your product is really popular, but your bounce rate on your website is 80%, something is going wrong with your user experience. You should improve your user experience because I don't think 80% bounce rate on a proper product is a healthy percentage, right? It needs to go down. That really jives with a couple of episodes ago, I was talking with uh, somebody who's doing insurance claims automation project. And this is a typical uh, situation where, you know, people are stranded in the street after a car accident and, and calling in the insurance company to report the accident. And now, right up front um, in IVR, they give you an option to do a self-service, and, and in this case, over WhatsApp. And once this changes, it's basically what used to be, you know, consultation with a specialist who has legally kind of a document in front of them going through every question in that legally kind of way. And somebody has to answer on the other side, they're a customer. And then later they send a specialist to the you know site and to take a picture and a whole to do. But the thing is, once you decide it, okay, that is becoming too painful and how do we make it better than other insurance companies? So they ended up doing it on a chatbot enabled self-service over WhatsApp. And once you change that interaction, it's no longer a specialist going through the legalese. They have to be very, very selective with the questions they're asking. For me, like I would love to see more of this, but in order for that to be sufficient enough 
to replace what used to be happening in a whole specialist interaction, you are supplementing a lot of that. And, you know, you talked about some of the wisdom, some of the telltale signs, some of the legal requirements using data. Is there a chance of seeing more of this? Yeah, I think there's also a challenge there. I think it's really great that we can use data to improve customer experience, but also to make the questions better. So not asking for the answers you already know, which is, or the answers you don't really need in this case with this insurance company, right? So getting it more into the core questions you want to ask. I know about this uh, investment company in, in the Netherlands. They invest into smaller businesses and it can be a hassle for companies who are growing rapidly to get new funding in from traditional uh, banks because they have to go to a lot of procedures and talk to a lot of people to get their funding in and grow as a company, right? And especially if you're a new company for, let's say, three years old and you don't have books which go back a 10-year time, so you can see there's a revenue increase over longer periods, getting funding from a bank can be even more difficult in some cases. Okay, it, it doesn't mean it's not doable, but there's an opportunity there to perhaps make it more easy. And there's this Dutch company who say, okay, if you want to apply for funding as a smaller company, you can apply with us using our website and just fill in some forms and we'll grant you an application or not. And first of all, I thought to myself, okay, we're talking about, I don't know, even a million dollar plus investment on a company, even more. How do you do it? So I talked to the CTO and he said, we're just looking at is the company existent how's the website built how are linkedin profiles built and we gather all this data not so much on a human interaction but technology driven models who gather and scrape all this data and we build a specific profile and we say okay this company is trustworthy and the risk is this percentage so we can grant the funding the thing is that it's working so efficiently that if you fill in the forms, you can get your reaction back in like 15 seconds. But if people fill in the forms and they get declined in 15 seconds, we tend to think it doesn't work. It can work in 15 that, seconds. That is awesome. So I love the fact that we're learning it and applying it. But at the same time, part of me a little bit think like, okay, it's, a, it's borderline manipulation. If that's the future where if we have to actually kind of accept. Yeah, I think you're true uh, there. I think the, the, the way to go there, if you look at integrity and manipulation, that's always a challenge, right? Especially with, with using data, because using data, you have to accept that you're never 100% right. It gives you an estimate of what is most likely to be, but it doesn't really give you a, a assurance that it's going to happen in this way or that way. I think uh, if you're looking at scientific research now, there's a lot of research being done also on transparency in AI, right? So if there's an artificial intelligence model, can we understand why it's making specific decisions? Otherwise, we're just going into a funnel, which is perhaps not the best route and we're missing out some opportunities. It's also about, so not being 100% right is important to, to think about. It's also about adoption. If we have this new technology, for example, with this funding company, and uh, people don't accept it if it's getting you feedback in 15 seconds, but we'll accept it in 15 minutes. Maybe it's, it's about user experience. When you're in a restaurant and you're ordering your food, right, and you have your main course, I don't know how it is in, in most countries, but in, in the Netherlands, you have to wait for, I don't know, 40 minutes, an hour to get your main course, which is fine by me. 
because I can chat away, I can drink some wine, I have some interesting conversations with my wife or with my friends, but they can make it faster. They can make my main course in, I don't know, five minutes even so, but am I being manipulated or is the user experience for me the most valuable one? And I think in the last case, I think it is so, and it doesn't, I think it's manipulation if you in some ways change the outcome without knowing of the one receiving the outcome. And in this case, the company doesn't change the outcome. They just put in a small delay to get the outcome towards the specific customers. So let me let me ask you now that it's really important. You, I love how you can provide that perspective to think about where to draw the line. But it, it will be a miss if we don't think about some of the privacy and all those things related when we are start using data to make this experience fast and efficient. Is there a general guideline as to now that we know a little more about what to do and not to do? Is there a general uh, conceptual frame or how to think about the privacy and then enable these experiences? Yeah, first of all, you have to, of course, be up to the standard of the legal boundaries. So the GDPR in Europe or even different regulations in the United States or in Asia, there, there are different regulations around the world. So you have to really think about the legal boundaries. But I think it's important to say those are legal boundaries. You don't have to go all the way to the boundary <laughs> to get your process up and running. Think first of all about what's the real outcome you want to to go to or what's the problem to solve, as I mentioned before, and then what data to collect and not per se collect more. So don't get data greedy because it gives you two risks. First of all, if you collect more data, then there's a risk of costs involved because collecting data, using data, storing data is, is a more costly uh, enterprise so to say it's more it's more costly to collect more data than to collect less data so think about the data to collect the other one is that if you collect more data you have to really think good about security and i think that's that's also a smart way to go a lot of companies are looking at a data lake at this point or solid systems to collect their data because there's a lot of different loose applications which collect data in some form which aren't per se 100% waterproof when collecting data. And they can really be a risk to your company because for any company, losing data is not something you want to have. In terms of a, a geolocality uh, where the data center is situated, mm -hmm. do you see any pattern in terms of, because there are, you know, me being in Germany right now, we have a lot of companies like Lufthansa where, they will not trust cloud storage of their customer data. Do you see any trend in this direction? Yeah, I think there's a global trend and there's also some adoption trends. The, the global trend is that who owns the data, right? And, and I'm going to be really rude in, in dividing the world into three regions. If you look at Europe, data is mostly considered to be owned by individuals. So me as an individual and you as an individual own our own data. And we have the ability to share a part of the data with companies. And if we think they shouldn't use it anymore, we can get the data back. And there's even a fine risk for companies if they don't use data in the right way. If you look at the United States, the usage of data is less regulated uh, towards individuals. I think companies are 
in a stronger position using data. They have more opportunities to use data in comparison to, to Europe, right? So it, you can say in, in the United States, being really rudimentary in, in the selection, data is owned by companies. In Europe, data is owned by individuals. If you look at China, for example, which is also a big data-driven economy in a lot of different ways, the government is really an important player in that, in that part. And a lot of big tech companies are also well, co-owned by the, the Chinese government. So, And they're using this data without too much restriction to build a profile of individuals and to create a customer experience, I think, they think suits best. So you can say in some ways in China, that is government owned. So you have company owned, individual owned and government owned. If you're looking at a, a software as a service uh, solution, cloud solution, in comparison to on-premise solution, traditionally IT thought, okay, on-premise is better because then we have all this stuff just located over here and we're safe because there's some sort of fence around it, right? A physical fence even. But you have to be honest because it's if it's connected to the internet, you really are being challenged by a lot of different potential intruders, which don't take to, into account there's a fence. They just go into the, <laughs> to the internet and, and try to access your specific environment. But if you're part of a bigger environment, like the bigger corporations like uh, Salesforce or AWS, which have a lot of security measures in place, you're bound to be safer than building your own secure environment. Or you're really going to have to invest extremely heavily into security measures and find some sort of training method to keep those people up to standard also. Because I think a lot of companies are being attacked hundreds of times a day via the internet. So getting the security up and running is really important. And it's best to defend yourself when you're in a group versus when you're alone. Thanks again to Baz Van Leeuwen for joining us today. Don't forget to tune into our next episode for the conclusion of our conversation with Baz. You can find more about Baz at gen25.com. To find out more about Gene and Tintech, visit tintech.com. Make sure to subscribe to Mobile Interactions Now in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. On behalf of the team here at Tintech, thanks for listening.